HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Nourish and Flourish is a proud supporter of Heritage Radio Network. Nourish and Flourish, handcrafted, ad-free, print and multimedia content from around the world with stunning photography and video. Subscribe at nourishandflourish.site. This week on Meet and 3, we're diving straight no chaser into the delicious crossover of the food and jazz worlds. And I think that sense of nostalgia is what makes it hard to do New Orleans food well because people just have these memories of these dishes. Certainly people from New Orleans, like, you're never going to make, you know, a gumbo as good as their mother or grandmother made, right? Comfort food, you got to get your hands dirty and the jazz as musicians, it's like it all goes together very well, you know? Check out Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast, local stories for a strong community. Each episode, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. It's our season finale this week. And we're closing out the year with a look at one of the most quietly radical movements gaining momentum in Bushwick and across the city. It's a program that allows members of the community to directly determine how their tax dollars are spent. For too long, government has controlled like exactly how money is spent in neighborhoods um, and in this country and the state and the city. Uh, and we thought in the city of New York we should you know, allow for there to be a process that allows for uh, constituents of the neighborhood to be able to determine how some funding is spent. This week, we're diving into the world of participatory budgeting. It's Thursday, December 5th, and this episode is called How to Spend a Million Dollars. You've likely never heard of participatory budgeting, or PB, and even if you have, you probably haven't, well, participated in it. But here in Bushwick, there's a growing coalition of elected officials, civil servants, and community members looking to change that. I think for doing the the like the outreach and educating people on what PB is, the one sentence is always, PB is a democratic process where members of the community put forth ideas and then ultimately decide which of those ideas will have the investment to improve their community. That's Jennifer Gutierrez, the chief of staff for Antonio Reynoso, the New York City council member representing District 34, which includes much of Bushwick. 
My name is Jennifer Gutierrez, and I'm Chief of Staff to Council Member Antonio Reynoso here in this neighborhood of Bushwick. And I'm Antonio Reynoso, the Council Member of the District. Council Member Reynoso's office leads participatory budgeting here in Bushwick and surrounding neighborhoods, which means they're putting a million dollars of their annual budget on the line for people in the community to decide how to spend. As surprising as that might seem, the program works exactly like it sounds. Community members can propose projects, vote on the ones they like, and ultimately fund those with the most votes. It's a New York City take on an idea that's been gaining momentum in communities around the world. Uh, we saw it happening in Brazil and some other countries where they're actually using like their real budgets. Their entire um, budget. Their entire budget being done through participatory budgeting, which is allowing for the people to choose how projects move, whether it's streets, uh, schools, uh, bridges, and so forth. So we wanted to see if we could dabble into that a bit. And members of the Progressive Caucus decided to get together, and each member was going to give $1 million uh, to their community to decide how they want to spend it. Um, so just, I guess, at its core and its mm-hmm. foundation is how to spend a million dollars of the community to improve yeah. your community. With so much money at stake, you might be wondering where it all comes from. And the simple answer is you. New York City has a pot of tax dollars called discretionary funding that allows elected officials like Councilmember Reynoso to fund special programs like participatory budgeting. But by the standards of city bureaucracy, participatory budgeting is pretty radical in that, unlike, say, an election, the barrier to entry is incredibly low. And ultimately, a remarkably broad group of people is eligible to participate in the process. You do not have to be a registered voter with the Board of Elections. You could be undocumented. You could have been previously incarcerated. Um, As long as you live in the district that's participating, so for us it's the 34th, Uh, You can vote, you can participate, you can put forth an idea, you can be a volunteer, and you can decide which project you want the money to go towards. It's like up to 13 years old, 13? 11 right now is the the minimum voting age. And And the the big thing here, what we want to do, it's not about limiting, it's about, of course, opening it it up, but it's a civic participation as well. It's like we just want people to start learning that they can get involved in politics and that they could do more than just vote once every four years for a council member. Um, And also that your effort and your organizing can lead to change. So what we end up seeing is like PTA groups are the strongest organizers, right? These parents want their their schoolyards to get a new swing set or something, and all these parents get together, they organize the school, and they're p- bringing people out to vote for their for their item. Um, and, uh, and even 11-year-olds are, are voting as well, so you could imagine that they're benefiting as well. But um, it truly is about just allowing for as many people as possible to get into, like, civic participation, not just about the money, not just about PB, just learn how to be, a, like, a good citizen and vote regularly and see the value of it. Um, so that that's what we're really trying to build out. Though participatory budgeting may be new to much of the community, the program has been around for longer than you might expect. So with the the city council, it started in 2010. We're in cycle nine. Um, And for our district, it started when council member Reynoso's term started in 2014. So we're in cycle six. Yeah. So it's at the discretion of the council member whether or not they want their communities to participate in participatory budgeting. Uh, The Progressive Caucus, I think every, almost every single member in the Progressive Caucus, which is a small group of, or 20, 27 members of the city council out of 51 decided that they were going to start pushing participation. Uh, participatory budgeting. So for this district, it started in 2014. Um, Some members just got in last year, for example, for the first time. So it depends on where you're from. 
uh, as to whether or not you'll be able to participate. It It is pretty radical. When we started doing it, a lot of what we call moderates were like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Um, they don't understand, you know, participation. For a lot of folks, it's about keeping the same amount of the same people happy every single year and you maintain your level of like electability that way and you stay in office for us it's like hey, can we reach out to people who traditionally don't participate in this right. there's no political let's say electable value to allowing an 11 year old to vote um, because uh, well unless you're in a seat for seven years and when they turn 18 um, but that's not what it's about it's not about uh, trying to stay in your seat. It's about teaching mm-hmm. people what democracy is. Yeah. So I it is radical, but it's it's unfortunate that it's radical. Mm-hmm. It should be something that is a, is basic work and like a, in a good democracy. Yeah, it's about empowerment. And yeah. I think if you are lucky to live in a district where your rep- representatives value that, then you will see PB and you will see like an honest effort to engage with with everyone. There are of course structures in place to ensure that the results of participatory budgeting are for the good of the community. So there are definite parameters. You can imagine we're city council members. We can't spend, I always use the the example, one one young person like four years ago wanted a roller coaster on their rooftop. Uh, we can't do roller coasters on rooftops. Um, <laughs> as good as an idea as it is. Exactly. The thing is we don't want to limit ideas either, right? So we kind of want people to start with the biggest idea that they can possibly have and then let the city, you know, red tape and a bureaucracy its way down to, like, something that we can actually get done. Um, but there are parameters and limitations, but the, the biggest limitation is the money. Uh, the city, everything the city does is extremely expensive. While you can do something uh, on your own that'll cost $100,000, let's say, um, for the city, it might, it might cost a million dollars. So right. you, the, the limitations are mostly how, the budget of what project you want to, to like push out. Yeah, and I think another, I want to say boundary, um, is that we have certain benchmarks as a district that, you know, as the council office, we want to make sure these projects are meeting. So we want to always make sure that it's promoting equity in some capacity and that it's meeting a need. Um, and so to someone that is proposing a roller coaster on their rooftop, um, although it's a great idea, we would sit down and say, well, is this going to be accessible to everyone? Is there a need for a roller coaster considering all of our, our entire district's needs? Um, and is this advancing equity in some way? So I think besides the bureaucracy that, which by the way, this is like what the council members, these are very real, right? Like bureaucracy and scenarios that they go through while they're uh, going through the budget. So it's a very, it mirrors the same, the budget process. Yeah. Um, but also we want to make sure that it's hitting those marks, that we're not just proposing something because we think it's, you know, innovative for me personally, but is this going to be good, the good for, for all of us? Yeah, and, and that's a, an important thing um, that Jennifer said. Uh, people get to be, they get to be in the, in the seat that I'm in. It's very hard to get these projects through. Once you win a project, for example, it can take four, five, or six years it to does. see the, pro- the project actually happen. So the same frustrations that, let's say, a, a tenant association group can have with um, wanting trees, for example, on their block. That can take four years, and they usually have to call Jennifer or call my office, um, you know, a hundred times in a year, like, where are our trees? Where are our trees? Well, now participatory budgeting, it's yours. So this is who you follow up with. This is who mm-hmm. you should you should be talking to. And this is a timeline of, of when this is going to get done. And people start experiencing and understanding how difficult it is to get things done in the city of New York. Um, so I think that's a, um, like a learning experience as well that's extremely valuable um, in it. But again, the, the limits, I guess, are mostly 
to money, and then there's just basic principles that we have mm-hmm. in being able to achieve, again, equity um, and affecting the most significant change in the, the district as possible. And on a really literal level, I, I know there's some restrictions around things called capital projects versus expense projects. Mm-hmm. Could you explain that for, for somebody who's not really familiar with the way that bureaucracy works when it comes to funding? Yeah. So I, I use an example. So an example is uh, capital builds you the gym, expense gets you the basketball programming in the gym, or the capital can build out the theater uh, and the expense will pay for the performances. So that's the difference. It's like brick and mortar. So we're really talking about projects, and I'll give some examples. Um, parks projects are capital. So if you want to build out a field, a basketball court, uh, upgrades. a playground, upgrades, um, schools, uh, almost anything in schools related to building out. They have a debate room in one site. They have a music studio that they built out as well. Um, so depending on what the school wants, uh, it, it's, it's capital because brick and mortar. You have to build it out. Expense is always programming. It's always going to be programming. It's always going to be money used by non-for-profits to try to push uh, a program. An example of that is um, paying for tenant services, uh, paying for an acting coach, a reading coach uh, in a school. Those are expense mm-hmm. dollars. So participatory budgeting is exclusively capital dollars. So it's all brick and mortar. So what we're seeing is after school, hey, it's a back backyards being rebuilt, park, uh, parks, like uh, comfort stations being used, uh, upgrades to parks in NYCHA. Community um, centers. Community centers. The most popular things are what's happening in schools. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, usually like their backyards. They all want a brand new backyard. Or technology. Or technology. So, yeah, so technology is also considered capital. Mm-hmm. As long as it's all connected, um, at least to, like, wireless LAN. Uh, but, and it has to be more than $35,000. 50000 this year. Now it's fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and, and so to that point also, um, and this is just a caveat for PB, um, for now, it also has to be a pro- on a city property to be yeah. eligible. So that is why I think we keep emphasizing schools and parks and community centers, um, because obviously we understand that there are a lot of capital needs uh, throughout the district that, you know, not our district is not like other districts where we have a ton of park space, where we have a ton of city-owned properties. We just don't. That is, like, the the nature of our district. So um, it does put a limit on the kinds of ideas that are eligible. And I say with an emphasis for now, because I'm leading the campaign to make to include uh, non-city um, capital as well, because uh, it has to be a, a property that's owned by the city. So parks, schools, libraries, uh, community or senior centers, NYCHA community centers um, are all included and are all eligible for PB capital. To summarize then, is it accurate to say that eligible projects for PB cost at least $50,000 mm-hmm. to build a thing or buy a thing mm-hmm. on public land? Or upgrade a thing. Or upgrade a yeah. thing. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. Uh, that's pretty much it. Absolutely. Could you share some examples of projects that have been funded here in the district? Yeah, so our very first year, we had a couple of really neat projects. We had, um, actually, Antonio's alma mater, they wanted an environmental upgrade. 
Um, so that's the Arbor School on the south side. They wanted to really kind of reflect the, the green of the interior on the outside. So they asked for um, just like green initiatives. They have like, I think it's like bioswales. They have a whole new mural. They wanted a green wall along the fence to absorb the toxins from the BQE because they're right at the BQE. Um, and then we had a playground upgrade for Williamsburg Houses. So one of our NYCHA developments went an upgrade. Um, technology, I think the council member, through PB, I think he's allocated close to like $3 million in technology upgrades for 40 of the 42 schools that he represents. Um, trees. Ugh, trees. Council member. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the trees. He thinks they're but too I don't expensive. Make, I, can't make, I can't make these choices. Right? Exactly. The community wants exactly. to... to, to choose that trees be something that gets on a ballot, I'll do that. I love trees. I just think we could take care of that outside of PB. Right. I think they could just call me and I'll call the Parks Department and say, can I get trees on this block? It's but people want to know the trees are going to get there, so they're big on it. But trees, the trees it's is a big one. Close to a million dollars for two years. They won uh, street trees for the entire district. Yeah, and the district. So the the you know I don't think that it would be popular, but every time it's on, it's one of the top two things. People, people just want more trees. street trees, even yeah. if it doesn't mean it's going to be right in front of their property. Mm-hmm. They just love the. I, especially in our district, we have one of the lowest rates of like green space. Um, so I feel like people overcompensate by really taking on environmental projects or environmental like based uh, projects like trees and parks they end up winning a lot Mm -hmm. we've also done like a conversation one time um i believe with uh, in bushwick on knoll street was that that could have been Mm-hmm. That was me doing mm-hmm. the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to differentiate. Auditorium upgrades. So we have yeah. some of the oldest schools for like in, built in the oh 1800s. Gosh, yeah. So a few of our schools, actually not too far from here, 147, the auditorium still had was still using church pews, which were the original yeah. seating. Um, and so they, the first year they were on the ballot, did not win. The mm-hmm. second year they learned lessons and they they came out and they won. Um, so that's auditorium upgrade. Um, we yeah, the, 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 what about the um, um, for, so the, the problem I have is that I'm, I, I say it's a million dollars, but before it's over, I end up taking like every project I'm funding it anyway, right? So um, well, at least every project, it's, it, it, top three projects win, let's say I'll do the top 10 or the top eight um, because they're good ideas and they're things I actually want to do. And, and it's good to get a pulse of the community. So it ends up um, informing me on how I should be working mm-hmm. with, um, with the funding that I do have. Um, so, so it's hard. Sometimes I'm, I'm giving her examples of projects that I supported because for me, it's just it's also That's like right. molded together. I, I feel like all the projects are, are PB or not. Um, but, it, but it's uh, bus countdown clocks one. Oh two yeah, the years bus ago. countdown clocks. So one for every community district. Yeah, that was a good. Um, one. That was a really good one. Yeah, I think. And then we have didn't we do like a uh, what do you call those um, like a media lab a media lab. So these are mm-hmm. young kids that want like to take. They have, like, cameras, and they have a, a video camera, and they're doing, like, news. They're doing TV, and they're, they're doing that in 147, I believe, PS147. 196. 196 they is doing. Media lab, yeah. So, so, and then we have uh, another um, another school is doing, oh, no, that one's. Bushwick Leaders, one. I think, won technology. Um, oh, no, excuse me. Yeah, Bushwick Leaders won technology. In Ridgewood, we have the elementary school. Um, I think despite the building being fairly new, the technology and the bandwidth yes. had not been upgraded since the school was open 15 years ago. So that Ridgewood School won money yeah. but those for are, that. Those are kind of examples of what mm-hmm. win. Schools do very well. It's the easiest place to organize. You have, you know, 500 people, <laughs> students and, and parents. So you can get 500 votes, you know, every every single day. Well, new, not new votes. You can't vote often, uh, but you can vote. One uh, time. You can yeah. vote one time. 
but uh, schools do very well in these programs. After the break, Jennifer and Councilmember Reynoso on what participatory budgeting means for democracy in Bushwick and how you can get involved today. Nourish and Flourish is a handcrafted ad-free integration of print and multimedia content from around the world with stunning photography and video. Explore emerging trends in nutrition, regenerative agriculture, and travel. Nourish and Flourish. Thought-provoking content and innovative links to videos allow you to view the future of food and healthy living. Join us on a journey of discovery from the soil to the stars. Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site. According to Jennifer and Councilmember Reynoso, of the dozens of city council districts that offer participatory budgeting, Bushwick's District 34 consistently has some of the highest engagement. How do I say it? We, we've never won first place, but we're second place every single year. Um, so I feel like we're the Kobe Bryant of, of participatory budgeting, but we're not like the Michael Jordans. Um, but we, we, the first place folks tend to, to move around. Um, but we're always second. We're always coming at a high number. How many people come on in board? So, what was last I'm offended. year? Offended. This is the first year we came in second place, council member. We've always been like third or fourth. Okay. So, okay. Um, there's pride in being Kobe, Scotty. I think there's. I, I, I think agree. there's something to celebrate. Okay. No. So last year, um, for vote, I think I wrote it down here. We had eight thousand three hundred and forty-nine vote people co- came out to vote, um, and a big portion of that was paper ballots, which I think distinguishes us from the rest of the council districts that won. Um, About four years ago, they instituted digital voting, and that's really been hard for us just because of the way, just just because of our district and and literacy for internet and just kind of like the demographics. Um, And so we still, I think it's really awesome that our district is still the one that leads the charge on like traditional Voting. That means we're, we're going to places where people don't go because it's a lot easier to just send a text message and a link. But we're going to these places where people uh, don't normally uh, get, how do I say this, like canvassed. Um, yeah. And so we had about a little over 8,000 uh, this past year. Our first year we had 3,000. And 66 people come out and vote, so, you know, yeah, it's there's growing. growth. Yeah, there's more people. More people came out. I, I, I always the, say this. More people came out to vote <laughs> for PB than voted for me in the in the general election. Um, so In the general yeah. election. Yeah, yeah. so that's a, that's, a, that's a big deal. I think for it's a sure. big deal. It's a, it's, um, these are people that if they had the opportunity to vote would be very active members of the community, but not all of them are. So, um, you know, 8,349 is, is a large number of constituents that are participating. What does the process look like for proposing an idea formally and that idea somehow being funded as a project? What, what, is, what does the sequence of steps look like? So I'm happy Jennifer's here. So there is a part of this where I have to you know, limit how much I can be involved because I don't want to influence the process. Um, I'm kind of just the person, when it comes out, I have to support it. Um, you lock yourself in happily lock myself in he to does, doing it. Yeah. So Jennifer kind of runs the day-to-day operations for the la- for every single year. So she's like the expert. So the process is definitely her. her <laughs> it's it's the people's. But yeah, I definitely monitor it and make sure. Um, it's, it's ultimately the results from the PB vote get folded into the city's budget. So there are timelines. Um, and so my role is just to make sure that we are meeting those timelines. But certainly um, the idea phase and, you know, you, you went to the assembly um, Someone can submit an idea online, which is, I think, the easiest thing. 
or they can come to an assembly, which we prefer because you ask questions, you engage, you meet your neighbors from other part of the district. Um, after we conclude the assembly phase or the idea collection phase, we move on to the vetting stage. And so that means out of the hundreds of ideas that we receive, we now as a community and as volunteers start to look through these ideas and, say, and ask ourselves the questions, which ones are meeting all the criteria that we we just spoke about you know which ones are definitely on city property which ones are to the best of our ability less than a million dollars because that's all we got um, and at least more than 50k is it equitable um, so out of those 100 ideas we usually boil down to about 20 or 30 um, and those ideas range some ideas will be for schools uh, improvements, others will be for park improvements, for libraries, for transportation. Um, so we split up those ideas in their respective committees. Um, and then after we meet, we then ask the agencies to read through all our amazing proposals and hopefully give us the green light, tell us how much they cost, is it eligible? And that process, I think, is really the one that takes the longest. Um, you know, these are city agencies that are not just working on PB, they're also working on other uh, projects. So it takes about a month to hear back from the agencies. We give them the list, they return a list. Um, once we get their feedback, we sit back down. Um, and in this cycle, that'll be, back, that'll be in January of this year. And then we say, all right, which ones of these projects are eligible? Which ones can we do? Is this doable? Um, and so, you know, this is our sixth year, so I think we have a really good synergy as far as how we get down to the final ideas for the ballot. The first couple years, not so much. Yeah. It was a little tough. You, ha you have tough conversations with people. Um, you know, yeah. people cry. Sometimes there are tears. People are very passionate about their projects. Yeah. Um, but once we get the feedback and we ask ourselves these same questions again, like, is this accessible? Is this meeting a need? Um, then we usually boil down to about 10 projects, and then those are the ones that make it on to the ballot. So there's a lot of talking, engaging, uh, finding out what acronyms stand for <laughs> as, a, as a volunteer because now you're talking to these people. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's, it's like a whole community initiative to, to get down to 10 proposals, for example. In other words, you can propose an idea at a public meeting or through a website, and community-based volunteers, known as budget delegates, will work alongside the council member's office and city agencies to refine those ideas before they get on the ballot for the community to vote on. Where do the people fit into that cascade of meetings and, and reviews and processes? And what is a budget delegate? I mean, the people are there the entire time. Um, whether they're submitting their ideas online, the website asks for their email. It also prompts them if they would like to be a volunteer or a budget delegate. And a lot of people click yes. A lot of people say, I want to I see this go further. Um, and so they are, the budget delegates are essentially volunteers. They're your neighbors um, that decide, I'm really passionate about this project. A or B, I'm really passionate about this process and I want to see it through. Um, so they move the process along. I would just be going to meetings in empty rooms if people weren't there. Uh, and that's not what this process is about. So um, engaging in those conversations, um, answering people's questions, like they play they play every single every single role. If we didn't if the people weren't involved, then it would just be the council member moving forward with his budget process as usual. Um, so budget delegates are I 
or AKA volunteers are an essential component of moving PB um, because ultimately they hold us accountable, but we hold them accountable as well because they are moving this process along. Is there a formal set of responsibilities to be a budget delegate or is that just a title someone assumes if they're involved in that process? No, it's, no. so the budget delegates are the ones that are doing this paring down uh, constantly, right? So their responsibility is when they get these 20, 30 projects, they're helping make the decision with the parameters and the criteria that we set forth, um, this project shouldn't be on and this project should be on. They also do things like um, they make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. If Williamsburg has 10 projects and Ridgewood has one, it's about maybe Winnesburg only needs eight projects and Richard can have three. Like, we could move things around. Those are the decisions budget delegates are making. Mm-hmm. So they are extremely valuable, and it's a lot of responsibility because, um, you know, I, I remember one of my years I had an elected official call me about PB saying that there weren't enough Bushwick projects in it. Um, and we brought that back to the budget delegates, and they were like, next year we're going to be very more conscious about equity. Um, but it was just that the the first year, things didn't fall the way we wanted them to. A lot of projects became uh, disqualified and and we couldn't put more projects in Bushwick, for example. But that they're the ones that are responsible for that. I shouldn't be receiving calls mm-hmm. from anyone related to PB. It's, this budget, it's the budget delegate group that should be able to answer these questions for anybody um, because it is, their, it is their work. So there's a lot of responsibility in that one. Um, the idea phase tends to just get more people, 100 ideas, You, I guess, from 100 people. Uh, the delegates, the budget delegates are not 100 people. Um, they're smaller than that, and they're paring that 100 down to the ultimate, to ultimately mm-hmm. to the 15. And Jen's role is more coordination, making sure that people know where to go, um, and they do all the work with the agencies and so forth. So, yes, budget de- and budget delegates are the ones that are going to follow through as well. Once the project is complete or we're done with the voting, I guess not the project, but we're done with the voting, follow-up and things like that are a responsibility of the budget delegates as well. Um, so there is, so I think there's like an outside yeah. responsibility And I think, I, I always like, I think I always like to see, make it seem that it's flexible because I want to encourage people. Some things that we're very mindful about when we're scheduling budget delegate meetings are, you know, childcare and, you know, it's dinner time. So maybe we bring snacks or maybe we hurry this up um, because we want to make sure that people stay invested and one of the things that we find is that a lot of the time budget delegates are also people that are doing all the things. So yeah. oftentimes they're volunteering at their church or they are on their block association. Um, so, you know, we try to be, we are flexible, um, which is why we move meeting locations. We don't just host it at, at one mm-hmm. place. Um and then I think the benefit of, you know, making that commitment to being a budget delegate is that you get access, um, you know, and especially the first year, the council member went to every single meeting. And I think people thought it was really amazing and really mm-hmm. cool that they got to just see their council member on a Wednesday night. Um, and they also get access to the city agencies. And sometimes, if you can believe it, that is a sexy enough reason for people to want to volunteer because yeah. uh, they want to know what's going on with DOT. And now they have access as a budget delegate. Yeah. Can anyone become a budget delegate, or is there a, an approval process? No barriers here. No, as long as you want yeah. to do the work, we'll we'll let you be on it. As long uh, as you're about it. Yeah, you we and we want and we want to do that too. Uh, it's also a great tool for me because I have a lot more than five million dollar worth of like issues that need to be solved in this <laughs> community. Um, so kind of like put it, I put the onus on them to be. You're responsible for putting in the effort to get this done. Just simply asking me or having access to me is not gonna get is not gonna make it so that I put this project on board. Now, if you have a groundswell of people or you organize in a meaningful way, 
um, then I want to get that project done. So I want to see how you organize. And another problem that we have with elected officials is that, you know, we tend to live in a bubble or a box or have the same, you know, the allies are always the same. And there might be people outside of that box and outside of those allies that never get access to, 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 to funding, let's say. In this case, you don't need to worry about whether or not you have a relationship with your council member at all. Your ability to organize can be the difference between you getting a project done or not. Um, so, uh, you know, so again, I think the budget delegates are extremely important mm -hmm. and anyone can participate. Um, and that the fact that it is not based on your relationship with the, your lobbying relationship mm -hmm. with the elected official, I think has value as well. If that sounds exciting and you think you might be interested in volunteering, there's no time like the present. When we sat down with Jennifer and Councilmember Reynoso last month, the process was already underway. Roughly PB is about, I would say, like an, a seven to eight month process. Um, it begins in the fall, formally begins in August and concludes with vote week, which is typically early April. Um, right now we're in phase two, which is vetting. We had our budget delegates meeting last week um, and we were able to compile a, a series of initial ideas for agency vetting. We'll expect feedback from them in December. And then we'll meet again after the holidays because the budget delegates said that would be the best time for them to meet. Mm -hmm. um, we meet again uh, in January to do the second round. So if there were more ideas that we couldn't get into vetting this time or at this point, now, we're, now we have feedback, so now we'll start asking specific questions. Um, we will be meeting again early January, like I said. Um, we will go finalize which proposals will make the ballot by mid-February, and then vote week is the last week of March, and it's it's eight days, um, and ends in the first week of April. So we're in phase two, and there are two phases left, which is, I guess, like the narrowing down and then the vote week. As people propose ideas and volunteers begin the process of refining them, Councilmember Reynoso and Jennifer have some advice for anyone looking to be a part of participatory budgeting. My main thing is... is your idea has to be able to resonate with more than just you. Just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean you're going to win. Uh, so be thoughtful about uh, about getting something done that can affect the most change in your neighborhood, um, so that you can gather the most in, you can gather the most amount of votes, I guess. Um, so, uh, which is very good. I, I think it also how do I say this? It, it checks people. So mm. people think that their idea is the most important thing that needs to get done mm -hmm. right now and that if council member, if you don't do this, you're a terrible council member, we need this project done. And then you put it on PB, it might not even make the ballot. And then you're like, look, it's just putting it in perspective for you um, and you got to do more organizing or more work. Um, uh, but I guess, so if you want to see it get done, don't think about yourself, think about the community. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the community project is, then start building a coalition. Once you build a coalition and you're participating, it's about getting out the vote. Uh, it's making sure when vote week happens, because it's not one day to vote. You have a whole week where you get to vote in different places in the district. So we try to go to places that today that that we traditionally won't go. All all these polling sites are always in schools. We don't want to be in schools. We want to go to churches or bodegas or mm -hmm. supermarkets and make sure we diversify the the people that are voting. Um, but it's about turnout. It's uh, making sure people know that. PB is happening and can you turn people out? Mm -hmm. That's why PTAs are so successful. <laughs> they have like a, a, a really dedicated group of people that are organized and are thinking about the interests of, let's say, the school, not which in turn is good for them because their children are in a better learning experience or environment, I guess. So again, think of an idea, affects change, you know, borough, uh, district-wide, 
and then really start organizing and getting a co- building a coalition so that you can get it passed. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 tough, but to be honest, just participating and showing up to every single meeting can really get you far yeah. in making your project move along. Like just participate, just yeah. show up, um, and that's like eighty percent of the battle. Yeah, I think the I that's the main tip that I think I would share. The other thing that I would share is. Um, just know, make the effort to know your community, know your district. We are so diverse. We're, I mean, we're gentrifying, and so we have a lot of folks that are generational that come in. Um, you, I think, met a lot of them that day at, at our assembly at MS50. Um, and then you have new folks that, like Antonio said, feel like, I have the best idea. Why aren't we doing this? So be mindful of your district. Be mindful of that history. Be mindful of of those needs and those demographics. Um, and then be open to work with your neighbors. One of the best things for me is seeing folks from the south side like align with folks like homeowners from Ridgewood. And these are people that we're in the same council district, but why would you know each other? And PB brings people together. So being open uh, to that process, I think, would help you have a very successful experience. If you're interested in learning more and finding out if you live in a part of the neighborhood that's involved in PB, either through Councilmember Reynoso's office or another, like fellow Bushwick representative Rafael Espinal's, simply head to the web. The first place is the council website. Mm-hmm. They go on council.nyc.gov, and that's council spelled C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot N-Y-C dot G-O-V. Uh, and there's going to be a, a, a tab that says budget, and you can find participatory budgeting. You can find out who's participating in this from your council members, click on your council member, and then there'll be a link to mm-hmm. be able to give ideas um, that'll go straight to, that'll come straight to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, that's the, the easiest that's way. That's the main way, yeah. yeah. And then there's another uh, council, uh, pb.nyc.org, which I think is a little more comprehensive than the yeah, council website where it has previous projects that have been proposed. It has a couple of really cute videos that show kind of how PB has evolved um, internationally. So um, pb.nyc.org, pbnyc.org, excuse me. We've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Jennifer and Councilmember Reynoso for helping to open up the participatory budgeting process to even more people in the community. We'd, of course, also like to thank you so much for joining us this week and throughout the season. None of this would be possible without your support. We'll be taking a brief break before returning next year with more of the community's incredible stories. But in the meantime, we'd love to know what you're interested in hearing and how we can do better. Get in touch by emailing us at hello at hearbushwick.com or by DMing us on our Instagram at Bushwick Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you and we'll see you soon. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.